Welcome to The Room, where we talk about the hard parts of leadership that every great leader goes through, but no one wants to talk about. I'm Jenny Dufresne, host of The Room podcast and CEO of Leaders Transform, a business growth training firm. I am a global leader, former United States Marine, international best-selling author, community, and business leader. The Room is your safe space. We'll talk about the things that are difficult for leaders, the tough stuff that leaders aren't willing to be vulnerable about, but we really need to. So come on in, close the door, join me in the room. I know leaders and I know leadership. Welcome back to The Room. I'm really excited today because this is a place where leaders really do talk about the things that we sometimes don't want to talk about out loud. I'm Jenny Dufresne, and I'm excited today to have CEO of SVS agency, Tanisha Stalnaker. Her agency has, has, I think, something that's really distinct and important for a lot of a lot of CEOs and business leaders, and that is it's an agency geared towards helping you build the powerful systems that are necessary to help you build and scale your businesses. I know as someone who also loves systems and operations that it's one of the really important things that we often don't think a lot about. Um, Tanisha has a more than 10-year background in corporate healthcare and IT recruiting, which we're going to delve into a bit, as well as um, building her, her agency, which is a global agency. Uh, with more than uh, 14 uh, team leaders all around the world. So I'm excited to hear about that. So Tanisha, welcome to the show today, the podcast. Excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So we were talking before we started about, about leadership and about the um, these stories, the things that we don't talk about. So you had a 10-year career uh, over uh, in healthcare, uh, recruiting, I think it was, as well as IT or is it IT healthcare recruiting um, in different environments. You were also in had sales roles uh, in in some of your your earlier career. So, as a woman, you know, coming into a corporate environment and then starting to build your career, I'd love for you to kind of maybe kind of start off of you know what did you think it was going to be like when you when you when you know, when you you know, when you applied and you got that first that first job, what did you think it was going to be like? Well, honestly, the first, I guess, traditionally corporate job that I had was for a large healthcare system. And it was not actually even in my on my radar to apply to. It wasn't something that I'd given any thought to. Um, I think that up to a certain point, I had a really positively accidental you know, path into corporate, <laughs> you know, I'd work someplace, I'd meet someone, they'd make a recommendation. I apply someplace else based off of something they saw. So I'd apply there, get some skills, and then they'd make a recommendation that I, so it just, you know, I went from selling cars mm. to my first, you know, semi recruiting placement job to staffing and recruiting to managing a few hundred people to working for a competitor. And it was after that point, someone, one of my clients that I filled, you know, staffing roles for, she was like, I think you'd be amazing here at the health system. And it wasn't in recruiting, even though that's what I was doing. She's like, I think just your personality in general, we have something working with our physicians as a liaison between them and the leadership department. And I think you'd be great for it. And so that was the beginning, but without her or without forming that relationship with her as a client of mine, I don't know how quickly I would have thought to even go down that path. So I think it's fascinating. One of the things that I, that I saw as I was pre- preparing for uh, our conversation today is that you've, you've, and I and I and I actually like and admire it because it it aligns with me. <laughs> um, but that you've had different types of roles in different types of industries, and it's so I'm curious. Like, and you talk about you know they the, it sounds like more accidental, but did you was it you know I've kind of exhausted my my contributions in this environment and I want to see something different. Is it is it that, you know, I just had these accidental, you know, discoveries and people are like, oh, try this out over here. So kind of, can you, can you kind of unpack that? Because I think, and the reason I wanted to kind of pull a thread on it is that we've, I believe, have been often discouraged from 
exploring multiple different things. Like I think even mm-hmm. your educational trajectory is not just sort of fixed in one, like I knew what I wanted to do and this is what I'm doing. So talk a little bit about like how you kind of conceptualized or experienced like, oh, I like this and I want to try that over there with that company or like, just talk about that a little bit. So I think that it might not have necessarily been a strength at the time, but as I've gotten older, one of the things that has become a strength is one, my ability to be honest with what I enjoy doing and where I feel valued Um, But then also that coupled with my resilience is very strong because some of these positions, the reason that there is a shift is because I was laid off. I've been laid off four times now over the course of 20 some odd years working. And it's become a laughable thing because it's always, I mean, there's never a convenient time to be laid off. But if there is a, a pathway of having the most inconvenient, like, week before Christmas, the week after Christmas, like all these major times in life where my layoffs come. But, you know, even including the one that launched my business, um, I think that that self-awareness mixed with resilience has really been a, a benefit for me. And so even though I've gone into different industries, at the end of the day, I've still pretty much done and used a lot of the same skill sets. Mm-hmm. So I've either been in some type of sales and marketing role and or some type of recruiting role since 2022, um, because in my brain, they're literally just the same thing on different sides of a coin. They relate, they connect, you need one with the other. And right. so I think the transition back and forth has always been very seamless for me. Um, I will say, minus the layoffs, there are times where I might go through something and I don't see where I'm growing anymore. It's like, especially sometimes in recruiting, I've literally had places where there is a finite amount of positions they need filled. Once they're filled, if they're a decent company that retains people, then I don't have a whole lot to do. You have a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I've, my, you know, family's always teasing me. They're like, you're the only person I know who's not happy getting paid to sit at a desk to do nothing. I was like, well, who wants to do that? You know how long of a day it is to make up some work? Drags on. <laughs> and I'm like, it feels like the end to forever. And I'm like, I right. just, so I've had a few of those opportunities where I almost outgrew the role. Um, you know, even in staffing, you know, I walked into a couple of, you know, in-person clients that even weren't, they weren't my clients. When I walked in, I was filling in for someone and identified a problem that the person hadn't noticed. And so now suddenly I get to take it over. And I was 22 and now I'm managing hundreds of people I'd never managed before. I'd never led any group like that before. And so I've been somewhat shoved at times into different scenarios, but each time I'm going to figure out some way to work through it. And but with both of those scenarios, by the time I finished, it was so well oiled, they didn't need me anymore. So it was like, well, and now here I am. I've worked myself out of another job. And so I just kind of evolved. So in in that, and I think again, that's a what I appreciate about that is that you didn't sort of rest on your laurels and sit around and stay there. Right. And I think again, that's something in in the world of of work in the world of leadership that we often, you know, I think we're, there's plenty of companies where people are just marking time. They're not, they're not really contributing anymore. Um, you, you know, for whatever reasons, they're not growing, they're not, they're whatever, but you talked about resilience and resilience and leadership is something that I think we're talking more about. And so, you know, as you've, as you've shared, for example, you're 22 and you, you know, you, you, you have the capacity and the skill, the superpower, as you describe it, to identify where there's a problem and then you can create a solution. The, to talk a little bit about like experiences you've had, or, you know, maybe a, a story where you saw a problem and started to solve it. And then maybe experienced a pushback from colleagues, particularly colleagues that you might have leapfrogged over or moved around in order to yeah. to make the, to solve those problems. So I can think of two, well I could I'm sure if I really thought hard enough there'd be more, but I can think of 
two, and the reason that those two stick out is because it was a stronger push one, and there are more like lessons that came out of it. So as a 22 year old that is in staffing and had never been in that industry, I knew temp work. That's literally what I knew. I'd never done it, but I was at least familiar with it. And I went from week one with very little training. That's the other theme that's in a lot of the positions that I've had is that there's been little guidance. Um, I went into week one and I was asked if I could cover someone's vacation. And I was told, you don't really have to do anything, but just go in the building, be there because they want to have representation from us. And she's going on vacation. She'd given me like a really quick walkthrough of this massive call center building with over 500 people in it. And she's like, you know, we have over 200 that we're providing. If they do well in 90 days, they hire them. If not, we replace them. And so she was like, it's self-sufficient. It's super easy. You just sit at the desk. And again, that sounds like a setup. (laughs) It was, it was, it was, it was, but it wasn't the setup that the person I was covering meant it to be. She absolutely like, it's to be that young, you know, I, my oldest is 28. And I just would think that if she was in this scenario, I don't know that she'd handle it the same way, but I just started to go around the building and introduce myself to people because again, yes, it was just a week, but a week of sitting in a cubicle was going to be mind numbing as well. And so I'm just walking around and I'm talking to people. And as I'm meeting some of the managers and I'm saying, hey, I'm representing this company while she's on vacation. And even she introduced me to a few people The the reception of their interaction with her seemed weird to me. Something was off. You know, she was upbeat and friendly and they were like a little reserved. In some cases, they seemed annoyed that she was talking to them. And so I'm just like feeling them out because I couldn't figure out, is this just a negative place to work? Is this the culture? Like, is this normal? Am I about to suffer for a week? You know, so um, I started asking like, you know, how's it going? You know, how long have have we, because I'd only been there for a week and like, how long has this partnership been there? You know, how's it going? How are the people doing? And I started to get, they were like, can we be honest? That question, though, led to so many things where it's like, we are literally about to cancel your contract. Oh, my gosh. And all I could see was I'm going to be unemployed now. Wow. I've barely been in this building a full day. Wow. And I'd spoken to three managers and they gave me a rundown between attendance issues, performance issues, behavioral issues, all of these things. And I was like, well, have you not addressed this with her? And they're like, we did. It's just nothing changed. So I called the office and I was like, hey, I think there's an issue. They said they're about to cancel the contract. It was a small firm. So I had a way of touching the CEO, who was a very reactive woman, the first of many. But she was a very good training camp for women who are hot and cold. They love I think you. that's a code <laughs> that we should pull on. OK, go ahead. <laughs> so when I got on the phone with her and I told them, she was like, fix it. And I said, well, what do you mean? She's like, I don't, quite frankly, she's like, I don't give a shit what you do. But if we lose that contract while you're there, you're fired. Wow. And I'm like, um, okay. So I literally did like a quick search of legally, what am I allowed to do when it comes to firing people? <laughs> like I'd never been in this position. And so I um, I went to the manager's And I was like, could you send me a list of everybody that you have from our company under your your group? And give me like a red light, green light, yellow light thing. Like green, they're great. Yellow just needs a conversation where they got to go. And then I even had like a category, like attendance, performance, whatever. I would say like 75% of them are red. And... So I called the office and I was like, so just so I'm clear, we're not legally bound to keep people a certain amount of time. And they're like, no, it's temporary work. They can be let go for any reason. You know, this is a commonwealth, it's at will. I'm like, okay. And so I, oh my gosh, I called, I sent an email to all the people and I was like, hey, I categorized the email based on the colors. And so the yellows, thankfully, was a small group. I had a conversation with them as a group. And then I pulled them one to one to talk about the individual things like, hey, just, you know, we're just, you know, we need to be careful about attendance, blah, blah, blah. 
that group was the easy group. The green group, no problem. But I decided because the red group was so big that it was the best use of time to pull them in a collective group in a room and let them go at one. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, You still have your head. (laughs) Man, the response, the shock, the yelling, the cursing, (laughs) the threats. I literally got nicknamed Osama bin Laden. Oh my gosh. That incident. And even the supervisors were like shocked, not necessarily like in a bad way though, but it was like, oh wow. We said it and you did it. I was like, well, you said you wanted them gone. I don't want to lose the contract. I don't want to lose my job. So if they're not performing and it's not, if you don't feel it's fixable, then, you know, and so I had security walk with me around the building for, to watch them get their stuff, but also to protect me for a couple of days. But that got their attention so much, the client and the employees that were left because it was like, oh, so we can't be comfortable, you know, with that group. And but that also got the woman who I was covering fired. She was fired like she came back from vacation and had no job. Wow. Needless to say, she was not happy. And she let me know how unhappy she was with me. And even some of the women that were back in the office that had a relationship with her, it was tense for a little bit until I formed relationships with them. So that was like one thing where it was like the lesson of sometimes when you take big action, sometimes it can be too big. So I learned mm-hmm. not to do a group of a hundred people at a time anymore because I wouldn't want to be treated that way. So that was one big lesson that came out of that is just how to communicate as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned how to communicate in the email because I did it wrong the first few times and it like caused such a strong reaction because here I am with the all red caps. <laughs> right. I'm thinking, I just want you to see it, make sure you don't miss it. And they're like, why are you yelling at us and emailing at us? Yeah. You know, all of that. So there were so many lessons in that role that came out like within the first few months. Um, you fast forward 15 plus years. And um, I'd worked for a healthcare IT firm for a few years. And when my HR manager left and went to another company, she was like, I need you to come with me. I didn't right away, but she was like, they need you. Like their recruiting processes are terrible. It's so inefficient. I need you to come and fix this. And you're the person that I trust to do it. That company that I moved to was unique because the healthcare IT, IT firm is primarily not black people running it. It was owned by white men. Most of the company was white, male or female. Um, You know, I trained all of the recruiters that came in and the head of HR there was a white woman. We had a very good relationship. So when she left, I was like, I want to help you. But quite honestly, I've like built a good thing here. (laughs) Like, right, right. They, I'm respected. If I give a recommendation, they follow it. I have not so much control, but I have like, I'm making an impact. And credibility. When I make a choice, you know, there's, they see value in it. And that's, it's taken a very long time to get into that type of role. And she, it took her a few months and she was like, please, you know, I just need your help. You know, this is not working out. So now I go and follow her there, you know, at the promise of more growth, more opportunity, more money. I think I made it there about a year and a half. It was such a different environment. This was the first company I'd worked at where it was predominantly minorities. The owner was a minority female. Her husband worked there. Her college best friend worked there. Her church best friend worked there. And they were all in leadership. It was the weirdest environment of said leaders. And I'm going to say it that way. It felt like a Black Greek sorority in a way. Nepotism. You know, while on paper, I had more qualifications than some of them, it took so much work to build relationships with them because now it felt competitive. And the head Mm -hmm. of HR there, even when talking to her, I could see why, I mean, the head of recruiting, I could see why the head of HR wanted me to come because when I met the director of recruiting, her tactics were so antiquated. And it was like a five-step process just to even talk to the manager. And I'm like, 
why are you doing a phone interview, an in-person interview, another phone interview, making them come back in and talking to you again, then doing another phone interview with the manager and making them talk to the manager? Are people actually staying around through this whole process? Right, it's and a long like, process. <laughs> you know, she's like, lose a lot of candidates. I could see why you'd lose right. me. The process this is terrible. Right. But even though at first she was like, you know, oh, you know, you're so sharp and we're going to, you know, it's so great. If you need anything from me, let me know. Immediately, she was threatened by two things. The fact that the head of HR had a better relationship with me because we'd work together. So she started to come just straight to me for things instead of going to the director. Mm. And the director was out for a couple of days. And I was like, oh, deja vu. Here we go. If this, if this lady gets fired <laughs> mm. after vacation, she didn't, thankfully. But while she was gone, the head of HR is not the type to wait. She was like, I need these things done. I need you to implement these changes. Give me your recommendations, write up a report. We're going to present it to the CEO and let's make it happen. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I did it. Well, now here my director comes back and she's like, well, who approved you doing these things? The director of the, actually the VP of HR, she, she did. And she was like, well, nobody talked to me. Okay. That's not my issue. Yeah. Can't help you on that one. But that started, she made it another six months there out of my year. And each month it got harder and harder to the point where there was literally a meeting where she like yelled at me in front of everyone. And I was just like, I just remember, even though I felt the fire inside because it wasn't like she was yelling because I did anything wrong. She was frustrated because she felt she wasn't being heard anymore and that she was kind of losing her position. And she yelled and everybody's like looking shocked. And I just said, don't ever speak to me like that again. I'm sorry you feel the way you feel, but that is not something you need to address with me. You need to address it with your manager. But I'm going to tell you as calmly as possible in front of this entire room, don't ever speak to me that way again. But the hush <laughs> over that. Yeah, I mean, room. that'd be like a <laughs> yes. pop- popcorn and terror, terror <laughs> even all the, at the same time. But even the VP was quiet. Now, she she didn't look shocked. She looked shocked by the yelling. She did not look shocked by my, resp- my response because she already knew me. And it was almost kind of like, yeah, I figured she could handle it. I didn't she need to do that. In, right. You know, but it was such, it was the first time I'd been in such a toxic environment that was painted as uplifting and, you know, empowering. And it was just not that way. There's and, a couple. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so that was like one of the, that, but that, environment, that role, that position was a completely different type of leadership lesson um, because it was my first time being in something that was paint like so drastically different from the picture versus the reality. You know, I've had environments where there's like little things, but it was so drastically different. And for me to be in a recruiting role where I'm attracting people to this organization, but in my heart of hearts, I'm like wanting to sit in the interview, like get out. Like this is not your, this is not a great, this is a toxic environment. Terrible. Yeah. So I hear you saying two things and thank you for those stories, because I think those stories are, those are the, you are not alone stories, right? Like those are the stories that I think all of us, I've certainly had my experiences very similarly, you know, a hard charger, you know, coming out of the military and you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Let's let's help everyone. Let's help all boats, you know, rise and lift and and go together. And that doesn't. That's not the way people interpret um, that kind of um, work or effort. But what I also heard you share is that the 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 ways that women in leadership can lead and also the fear that women in leadership have mm-hmm. right so it, and i don't know even as i was listening i was thinking you know 
in your first example, that just sounds like someone, a leader who was, you know, doing just enough or was just resting on her laurels or or what have you and was not holding people accountable, which can sometimes be a very, a, unfortunately, can be a challenge for women leaders, depending on what kind of environment they're in and depending on what kind of support they have and all of those pieces. In the second example, again, now it's now it's kind of flipping in a different way, which is, or maybe it's the similarly, I don't, you know, I don't want to look bad because I may end up losing my, I may end up losing my status or what have you. So I'm just curious what, like, as you've learned these leadership lessons, what, how have you kind of processed as a woman leader, you know, make like, because I think we have different leadership obstacles or barriers than our male counterparts, regardless of race or ethnicity. I think we have women, just that, that alone, we, we have to navigate differently. Like how have you kind of evolved that or what have you figured out? Because I always say that we need more women in leadership roles because of we're in some ways we're really out of balance. We have Mm -hmm. so much masculine energy in leadership environments that it creates toxic work cultures. It creates, you know, unfettered, um, poor behavior, not everything, but many. Right. Um, and so I'm just curious, like what you've seen or, you know, what would you say to women leaders, like how to, how to be in leadership, how to support women leaders, other women leaders, like what, what would be some things that you would say from, from the experiences you've had? I think that the self-awareness piece is very important. And while I am, I've always been generally pretty good at being self-aware, there are some things that I notice now that I'm in business that I really didn't embrace as I moved up over laterally, up, down, whatever, um, working um, in corporate. My nature is to fix things. And it took a very long time to just acknowledge that and recognize it. And so because my natural nature, just as a breathing human, and it's the same way personally, professionally, if I see a problem that you don't notice, and I don't mean, girl, you know, you need to put that put that pizza down and get a salad because you need to lose right. a few pounds. I mean that. Yeah. I mean the sense of I am doing this process this way. I am having a hard time. And in my brain, I can see why you're having a hard time because I could recognize three things that you could do differently to make it easier. It's a natural thing that I can't turn off. But when, as an employee and working in corporate, I really resisted being put in quote unquote leadership positions Hmm. because I did not want, it wasn't that I couldn't take on the responsibility of being a leader. I didn't want the other side of it of sometimes certain levels of leaders are the people that are stuck in the middle where they don't really have any real control over anything, but they're held accountable for everything. Right. And so I was always super resistant and, but very honest about it to say the reason I don't want to be called a manager or a director or this, I don't trust this company to put me in that position. The day that I openly accept it is because the place that I'm at, the place where I'm working is someplace that I trust to not put me in a position to set me up to fail. Mm-hmm. But I'm still naturally, you know, but of course I recognize my personality is strong. I am a natural take charge person. I don't care if you're the CEO of the company. If I see you doing something incorrectly on your computer, I'm going to say, hey, did you know if you do this, it works better? You know, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> it's just right. a natural thing. So for me, one thing that was helping is being able to be honest about where I stood with the term leadership and being in a leadership role. I was like, I am a natural leader, but I don't want to be your director or manager. You know, if I do take it as the ultimate compliment, but so far I've not found the organization that I want to leapfrog into those roles. Um, But the other thing I think is my emotional intelligence is generally pretty high. Mm. I am pretty good at reading people and feeding off of whatever energy they're putting out. 
I also recognize that I myself can put out a very strong energy. And so I can shift the mood in the room for good or evil on on how I'm feeling or, or, you know, where I am with things. And so I think for me, it's being able to understand my strengths and weaknesses and when to when and how to navigate and use them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of women don't do that. They don't tap into that superpower as much as they could, Mm -hmm. because that's the thing that gives you the confidence to be able to say, no, this is, I know this, you know, if I'm giving this recommendation it's because I know I've, I've, I have the knowledge, the experience, I've done the research, I've done the work. If it's left, it's left. I think that's a very powerful, I think that's something that's very powerful. The self-awareness piece is important. I think too many women are encouraged not to tap into those superpowers, but even even more expansive than that, not to demonstrate their confidence and their competence, but more importantly, confidence, right? You know, for those of us in the military, like it's about projecting that confidence. It's about command and control of a room. It's about it's about using your voice, your body, your energy to um to to command a space, right? And so I think that in what I see is a lot of women struggle with with really, I think, a bag of mixed messages about how mm-hmm. they get to show up, right? You so if you show up too strong, you know, you, there's a whole list of names that women are called yeah. who show up too strong. If you show up, you know, and you're a, a considered to be kind of a wilting violet, then there's a whole nother list of, I mean, either way, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. But I do, I do think as I'm listening to you, the, you know, it, it, it's, it's identifying your strengths and to me, capitalizing on your strengths at every turn. And kind mm-hmm. of no matter what, because I mean, what I've learned along the way is that people will love you and hate you literally in the same breath, depending yeah. on what you do. If you do if you do things that they love, then they're going to love you. If you do something that they disagree with, then there's something wrong with you or what have you. And there's no, there's no, to thy own self be, self be true, right? Like you have to know yourself and be true to who you are. And then I think the other aspect of your career path in in leadership, in particular on the corporate side, we'll get to your talk about your business side, is that, you know, find the places where you're thriving, you're growing, you're contributing. Mm-hmm. And when you realize that that's not happening anymore, though it may be very difficult to make transitions and moves, make moves. Because what I've also seen is a lot of people get very sick, like physically, me- mentally, and emotionally ill, because they're staying in re- environments because they have this idea I've got to I've got to stick this out, or there's something wrong with me. Like that conversation, especially for women, is there something wrong with you? That's why you're not able to make this work, or you know. So I I I love the fact that one of your superpowers is knowing. I mean, I know we evolve, evolve right? We know who we are, mm-hmm. but. This is my strength is my strength, my my ability to see things and to solve them quickly where other people might take them a year. I can see it very quickly. I can visualize it. And then I can also execute. I know how to execute for you to tap into that. I think that's that's super powerful. Um, so you've you've you you had another layoff. <laughs> and uh I think in that, as I was researching for this, in that then you moved into entrepreneurship. So I can really command my own, my own, my own ship. I'm going to, I'm going to do my own, my, my own thing, hang my own, my own, uh, um, you know, sign out. So you've, over the last five years, you've transitioned from being a business owner to having an agency. You've had, you know, a few people, uh, a few team members to now you have, I think 14 or more globally. So how do those leadership lessons that you've learned now, how do they touch the business you have today? Like, how do you see, how do you think about building culture? How do you think about getting team members? Like what, t- tell us a little bit about that aspect of your journey where now the buck stops with you. <laughs> You're now in charge. <laughs> well, well, I think one thing is, in my mind, yes, I own the company. 
I am the one ultimately responsible for the good days and bad days, you know, overall that happened. But I think that's pretty much where I I stopped that thinking in the sense of I've had some team members that are like, well, you're my boss. No, I'm not. I'm absolutely not your boss. Quite frankly, on paper, I'm your client because you're a, a contractor. But even if you were an employee, you're never going to hear me use that term ever. I didn't use it when I was an employee. I'd never called somebody my boss because the stubbornness just would not allow it. I'm like, you're my manager, my director. I'm not surprised. I, you know, you're whatever the title is on paper, but Mm -hmm. I've never been hired and it said boss and then your name next to it. So Mm -hmm. it's just not my nature. I'm not doing that. And I don't want it done for me either though. I am no one's boss minus maybe the 13 year old sitting upstairs. Right. But I... So I think that's one big part of it is that I don't go into it with the boss mentality. Um, to me, every single person on my team has value. And the other thing is I've met other agency owners. I've met some people who had agencies that let the agency go. They were like, oh, it was too much work. I had to check behind people. It was too much micromanaging. And I was like, I don't, I'm not doing any of that. It doesn't mean that I don't check on things. And if it doesn't right. mean that I don't see things or notice things, but I'm hiring professionals. Professionals, right. And so it's supposed to be that way in corporate also, that you're hiring professionals. The difference in many cases in corporate is that you hire professionals to treat them like kids. (laughs) And I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to spend my energy babysitting adults. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I hire professionals that I can be upfront with from day one on my Mm must-haves. I don't have many. And I'm, but I'm very frank about what they are. And I'm like, these are my non-negotiable things. Will that work for you? If it doesn't, it's okay. We just won't work together, you know, (laughs) but don't force it if it's not going to work. If at any point this doesn't work for you, let me know. You know, I am not going to, I can't force you to stay anyway, but I'm not going to beg you to be someplace you don't want to be. And I don't expect that in return from you. But I also want you to have a positive experience while you're with SVS. So I ask for their opinion. I'm like, what do you think we should be doing differently? Mm-hmm. You know, hey, this client, it didn't quite work out. I know where I see where it went left. What do you think? You know, I know here's my recommendation for this client's package. What do you think? Do you want to work with this client? This is what we have. This client is coming on board. Who would like to work with this client? I don't ever just assign work. And I'm very open open to that. If you tell me I'm tired, I don't want to take on a client. Okay. I'll get somebody else to do it. So I think part of that, I've built a culture where I make it very obvious that they are just as important to the success of this company as me on any given day. And quite Mm -hmm. frankly, in most days, when it comes to the implementation side, they're more important because they're the Mm -hmm. one that's actually doing the work. Doing the work, right. Right. You know, but the other thing that I I know that I do that I don't see sometimes even on our clients and their teams is the trust factor also. The one thing I know how to do is hire people. <laughs> right. <laughs> if I don't know how to do anything else, I know how to hire a person. I also know very quickly to recognize if they weren't quite a good hire. That doesn't happen very often. But if it does, I'm going to be able to suss it out. It's We're not going to be together for years before I realize you were not the right fit. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. Talk, talk about trust because trust is, trust is the speed of business, right? Trust is the thing that I think many leaders overlook, lack. don't consider, don't yep. lack, don't, don't engender, don't create it. So talk about like, how do you, because trust is a two-way street, right? Mm-hmm. Or a three-way street because you have your clients as, involved as well. But so with a global team, a virtual global team, how do, how, how is, I mean, okay, so we hire, right? Mm-hmm. We, we hire well, hopefully then, but trust is something that is, it's relational. It's lots of things. So how do you go about that engendering that on your, on your global team? Cause even now we have plenty of corporate environments. We have all kinds of leadership environments that are virtual or remote or hybrids. Uh, you know, so what, what is something that you feel like you've harnessed that helps really build and engender trust in your, in your, in your agency? 
I think the first thing is the process by which I do the recruiting. I have a, a three-step process. So there's certain parts where people are going to weed themselves out through that. Um, so the first part, there's a form to fill out. I can tell from that form, like at least 80% of the people don't make it past that form because I'm asking specific questions, but I can tell they didn't pay attention when they made the answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the next step is video interview where I have recorded myself asking questions. They then need to record themselves responding to the questions. It's five or six questions. And it's real life examples of what do you do when you have a, I put PETA client, but I was like pain in the ass client. What do you do? How do you deal with that? If a client asks you for this, but they give you no details, where do you start? How are you going to get the information that you need? Like what's a perfect day to you? You know, so some of the questions seem vague, but there is an answer that I'm looking for in most of the cases, because I'm basing it off of the people that I've hired and how they answered and what worked well and the ones that were a little so-so. I'm also looking, did you actually do the video? Because you have the option to just do audio or to type it. I want a video. I've said it, I want a video, but I purposely put those options there because some people are going to hide. If you can't talk to me on video, then why am I- You can't talk to a client. Yeah, so, (laughs) you know, but people don't think, a lot of people don't think that way through. And I'm up front. I'm in a hoodie when I'm recording myself. I'm as laid back as it gets. And I'm very honest to say, I want to see what you look like on a regular Tuesday afternoon when you answer these calls. Do not go and throw the lashes on and get your hair done. I need to see what you look like normally because that's what's going to show up on camera with the client. Now, there are some people that take it where they show me a lot more than what I probably needed to see. Like I've seen nursing. Oh, um, wow. I've, okay. And then being global, each continent has different things. It's people right. where there's a guy where there was a rooster in the house. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I was like, okay, all right, this is maybe a little too real. Got it. <laughs> um, but so I'm very like myself. I don't put on an air because I don't want them to be on guard to feel like they need to. So that's one thing right there. But from those videos, I can pretty much also tell if I'm going to even hire this person just from the video. So the third step is actually talking to me. At that point, it's literally their job to throw away because I've probably already made a choice. And I'm really just looking for the consistency and to see how you are just natural conversation. And there is a balance that I'm willing to have. Like, I do like to have a certain amount of strong personalities like mine. I do like to have a certain amount of slightly more timid personalities, you know, so it doesn't feel like you're getting hit in the forehead every time you have a conversation with somebody. So it's a balance of all of those things. I'm typically filling at least one technical gap, but then also a communication gap of some type, you know? And so I'm looking for the people who are going to make us a well-oiled machine. Nice. And I'm also looking at personality to say, is this the person that's going to blow up our whole positive environment? Like, is this the one that's going to tip us? They're the culture vampires. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, culture vampires. um, You know, but... I'm looking at all of those things so that when they walk in the door, there's already, we've communicated enough. We've talked. I have another call with them after they sign their contract just to make sure they feel good about it. Um, I invite them to a team meeting so they can meet the team. They can come back to me if they have any questions. And then I normally have like a a first project for them and where I'm like, your first client is going to be me. Mm -hmm. I always have something I can give somebody to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I'm, but I'm upfront. I'm like, I'm going to be a little bit of a PETA client. I'm going to give you just enough to start the job. And I want to see where you go with it. I want to see, are you going to make recommendations? Are you, if I, if I ask for something that in my mind, I know makes no sense. Are you just going to do it? Or are you going to push back to say. That give a goes- quality product. Yeah. To give it. Yeah. I was like, so this is how I'm going to see how you going to work is I want to be your client first. Mm-hmm. That also helps because it tells me how they communicate, where there might be some gaps so that I can say, hey, you know, I gave you this and three days went by before you said anything. What's going on? You know, did something happen? Is that your norm? You know, 
So again, because I've already talked about my must haves and that's, that's definitely one there is the response time. <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's even in their contract. You know, I'm like, you need to respond to a client within two hours. I don't mean drop your life and do the work. Right. Just, right. it could be a thumbs up. It could be acknowledge. a yeah, acknowledge, just acknowledge that they, that they right. sent you a message in Slack, just acknowledge right. that they sent. That's it. Right. Um, I think it's a really, that's a very power. Like, I think it's a very powerful process and I can hear how it it's different from the standpoint of people are well i think that you know we throw around the world the word authentic so much but it it allows for them to authentically show up and then to have the authentic experience which is both like that's how clients will do right and every client has like a little clock in their head when they send an email and they're expecting a response. So those, those kinds of, I think things are really, really powerful. Um, I've had a super, this has been like, I realize it's like going really long, but um, this is really a really great conversation. Uh, Really appreciated having the conversation. Um, So as we get ready to close, close, uh, close our, our chat today, what are uh, in terms of clients? um, Because I know all business owners, are always, you know, looking to expand and serve more and, and, and that, what are some, I, you know, some of your favorite types of projects you're looking to do right now, or types of clients that you really enjoy helping? Cause just again, to add, I, I'm a systems person, operations person, leadership, all that good stuff. But I know systems and structures are the, the, really the engines that help businesses grow, flourish, thrive, and scale. So what are some of the favorite clients you're looking for right now or favorite types of clients or a particular problems that you that that you all are activating your superpowers to help folks solve? So on the agency side of things, um, we do really well partnering with digital marketing agencies because again, two sides of the same coin. And while there is a little bit of overlap in the sense that we design websites and we do SEO, we don't write copy. Um, You know, we can build email funnels, but we don't write copy and we don't design the strategy behind the email marketing. So it's the we take the technical side of some of those things. So there's very little competition necessarily when we do those partnerships, Mm -hmm. but that works really well. We're looking for some also some small enterprise firms that need bigger tools, things like HubSpot versus mm-hmm. Dubsado or Honeybook or something like that. So we're looking for more of that um, going into 2024. Um, but quite frankly, the team loves any multi-level implementation. And when I say that, maybe some aspect of CRM integration with some other tool, a project management tool, you know, where we really can overhaul the whole thing, you know, versus... We're touching one thing, but we've noticed that, you know, that whole, like on my website, I'm like, stop putting a Band-Aid on a broken arm. But you're determined for us just to keep working with Band-Aids. And we're like, but this is literally falling off over here. Yeah. Um, On the one-to-one side, um, I have stepped into doing one-to-one consulting based on looking at the last couple of years of clients and looking at the clients that things, not so we didn't do the work, but it was a harder like project. Because sometimes, yes, we do implementation. There are certain parts of your business that if you haven't put certain foundations in place, going into an implementation project with an agency is going to be a nightmare for both you and the agency because all of these things that haven't been put into foundation are going to come up, whether it's your leadership or lack thereof, mm-hmm. the lack of trust, because I've ha- I tend to come behind someone else they've hired where it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, yeah. I'm trying to work with that. And I, behind the scenes, to make it easier on my agency, I might notice a trend with a client and then I'm just going to come to the side and say, hey, let's have a little conversation. What's going on? Because mm-hmm. now I'm starting to see the all caps and you seem frazzled. Let's talk mm-hmm. about it. So I'm doing it anyway. I just, it wasn't part of their package, but I'm just noticing that whether it's about leadership, your management style, if you even have a team or if you're ready to start having a team, some of those things need to be sussed out before you go into an implementation. And I think that especially the transition from 2020, 2021, 2022, where everybody was successful because everybody was home. And now 2023, where people have gone back outside and business has gone back into the roller coaster. Right. People are spiraling a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said at the beginning, before we recorded the transition from corporate or higher education into business there's some things that are missing that make the person 
dare I say, an accidentally shitty CEO. And so um, I'm yes. on that. <laughs> so I love that. We're going to end on the accidental shitty CEO. <laughs> what a way to end. But, <laughs> but this is, and I will share this from the leadership side and um, working with a lot of entrepreneurs uh, in a, num- a couple of different accelerators, is that your leadership is the most important aspect of your business that you ignore. I'm just mm-hmm. saying. And if your leadership isn't being developed, uh, your business will not grow. So, uh, and yes, if you're coming from something else that you've been a superstar at, uh, be prepared to not be have any superstar qualities when you come into entrepreneurship because it's a completely different animal. And, you know, working with a company like SVS, Tanisha's company is very important. Build the systems because you have to have systems so you don't get overwhelmed. But also to her point of um, it's really super important to get your leadership mindset, your leadership understanding it's completely different. It is completely, completely different. So working with folks that know how to do that um, is super helpful. So Tanisha, I'm super excited. Thank you so much again for your your gift of time and sharing your leadership journey. Um, in our show notes, we'll have all the different ways that people can get connected to you uh, so that they can, can tap into uh, you and your genius as well as your team's genius. Um, it, it, it's super exciting. So again, thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's Jenny. Thank you so much for joining me in this week's episode of The Room, a safe place where leaders come together to talk about the things that we don't often share out loud. If you enjoyed your time in The Room, please like or subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a review. And if you want to learn more about our important work with leaders, head over to the website, leaderstransform.com and continue to be connected to our community. Thank you again for listening and make sure you invite someone to next week's episode of The Room.